Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Hey guys, before we get to the podcast, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. That'll make sure that if somebody looks up Exodus or Ruth, uh, that they will be able to pull up our podcast and, and see what we have to say on different sections of the Bible. Also, if you have any questions or comments or things that you want to share with us, uh, you can email us now. We now have an email address of growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. That's growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you, even just uh, saying, hey, we're listening and really appreciate it or something like that. I don't know. Uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Now on to the podcast. Hey guys, we're excited to jump into Ruth chapter two tonight. But before we get to that, we have a- another new segment. <laughs> I don't feel like we last more than like two weeks on well, like an idea. We go back and forth between it's, it's best not to just continue to be monotonous <laughs> about the same questions or things like that. So. Well, really the idea was we wanted to start getting other people involved with the podcast and with everything with quarantine, we're not able to have we haven't been able to have people um come and record with us. Um and so we thought we'd do recordings. Yeah. Uh, have have people submit questions or talk about their favorite scripture. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a couple things that we're looking for right now. Uh, if if you want to submit them, we would love to have them. Uh, you feel free to like record it on if you've got a voice memo, something they can record to a M4A file format. But uh, we're really looking for you guys to record. What you know? What is what's your favorite scripture, uh, and why is that scripture? Tell us why that is impactful to you. Um, we would really want to hear that. I think it's really cool to hear from other people about what impacts them about scripture. What what is what's really moving to them right now? I mean, it when we all come together on this stuff, we learn from each other, and I think that's a lot of what we're supposed to do with the scriptures: is sit down and read them and hear them from each other. Uh, and then that way we can learn. So you can do that. Um, or we're also looking for with the icebreaker questions that we've done before. If you guys have questions, silly or, um, or serious, mm-hmm. if you have questions for us that you want to know about us or, you know, now if it's going to be a goofy question, I would ask that you answer it yourself too. Um, <laughs> but you don't have to, if you just want to submit a, a question to us, um, then, then feel free to do that. So we're going to we're gonna kind of open up that section tonight. Yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, we do, if you do send something in, try to keep it under 10 minutes. If it's longer, though, we may just have a whole podcast dedicated to you. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I'm not yeah, really we'll sure. See. So um, we've had several people uh, give us some clips. So we're really excited about that. So if you don't hear yours on this podcast... You're, you're going to hear it in the, in the yeah, future ones. Be looking so. forward to that. So first up, we're going to have a question from Michael. My question to y'all is actually for Melissa. What is it that Garrett has done or does that will completely gross you out? Or if there was any part when you were first married that you look at and you go, why did I marry this guy? So I feel really betrayed by this question. <laughs> 
and I'm not really looking forward to the answer, but I did ask for this, uh, and uh, so Michael was very willing to submit it, but uh, I feel like I have been stabbed in the back by a close friend, uh, Etu Brute. Um, but uh, yeah, so I guess the question is for you, Melissa, so feel free to divulge on my secrets. Yeah, well, when I first heard this is for Melissa, I got a little... I got a little, like, pit in my stomach, like, a little nervous, like, oh, goodness, I'm going to have to answer this. But then the answer is just, it's pretty, it was pretty <sighs> instinctual for me to come up with this. Um, and it's going to be TMI for most of yeah, you. <laughs> if, if you can't handle grossness, <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> then fast forward 30 seconds. Skip, yeah, well, yeah, hopefully just 30 <sighs> seconds. Um, well, one thing, it's really a two-part, but they're related. Um <laughs> Uh, the first thing is his farts are just, well, first off, he doesn't try to like hold them back. He actually like, I can. I'm very talented. I just want to say I'm very talented where this is concerned. It's actually a skill set. Okay. (laughs) If you talk to the right people, it's a skill set. Okay. The right people like Caleb, a four year old. Um, he does think it's funny. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's. It's just incredible to me the the smell and how it's almost like he'll fart and then like he'll walk he'll walk through it so that it wafts throughout like everybody it likes goes throughout cooking. the house. It's almost like he wishes there was a candle scent of his farts, and so it drives me insane. And I always I'm just like you did that on purpose. And you know when we were dating, you know. You well, we, try to, I wasn't we that. I I was. I probably wasn't that bad when we were dating. Yeah, at all. I don't know. I probably. Like, I I feel like that was something that really, I started coming into my own, uh, <laughs> after we got married. Look, also he's had to go to the doctor for things, and they were like, eat more fiber. So like <laughs> that does not help the situation, which leads me actually to the next part, um, with, I I'll. I'll word this in the nicest way I possibly can, but he just like ruins the bathroom. Like when this he, is embarrassing. When he boots. Michael, why did you have to ask this question? Um, from not just from a smell, but from like a cleanliness standpoint. And so, um, you know, like the I wash the bathroom every week before Bible study. <laughs> And then I threaten him, like, you better not use that bathroom again. Because otherwise, I'd be, like, cleaning toilets daily, I think, if I tried to keep it up. But I'm also, like, can you just use our bathroom and not, like, the guest bathroom? So You know, you know I, I take a lot. You know, people don't like to think about this, mm-hmm. okay? But it's just a it's sheer fact. You know, uh, Jesus pooped and peed his diapers, too. You know, and <laughs> so... You know, he. I bet there were all kinds of times where he's joking with his disciples on the road, being like, dude, did you see what happened back yeah. there? Yeah. So, you know, it's a group of dudes that are going around from town to town. I mean, they've got to take care of their business. Jesus is a human, I too. I guess so. Like, even Caleb, though, said something about it today. He was like, that's... That's gross. We need to clean the toilet. And I was like, yeah, we yeah, we do, buddy. I know. I know. So, yeah, so that's highly embarrassing. Yeah. So, uh, so sorry about that. So no <laughs> embarrassing questions for me. We forgot to edit, put that note in of uh, 
nothing that might reveal my bodily functions will be discussed <laughs> on the podcast. But I guess I am fair game. Oh, yeah. So. He does not embarrass easily, so. Yeah, not really. And also, yeah. I feel like this is probably one of those things that's, like, more common than. It's just a dude uh, thing. It's, it's a, yeah, that yeah. it's a guy thing and that it's more common than uh, maybe yeah. maybe people. But I am like exceptional uh, with my, uh, my tooting, so. I ha- I'm I am upper echelon with that. So, I I, th- I mean you know if there was a gold medal I w- could probably compete <laughs> compete for it. Not an Olympic sport, sorry. Yeah. So I uh so the next the next one th- to kind of segue into the wow. more serious section. This is going to uh, be a tough segue. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it ties right in. No, it is not. Not at all. Um. No. Uh. So that I mean that is what we're looking for. We really I really want you guys to ask like funny questions things that. Uh, maybe make me blush or whatever. Uh, and embarrassing or serious questions. He's not blushing. Too. Yeah, but he's not embarrassed by this at all. <laughs> but uh, but we also want to hear from you too of of the serious things. Um, and so, uh, you know, the the first time we're gonna do this is gonna be um a favorite uh section of scripture, um, and just highlighting what do you like about it? What do you what what is it that you love? What moves you about it? Um, and so the first one that we're going to have for that is from Miss Tori. One of my favorite scripture passages comes from Luke 8, verses 42 through 48. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to you, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. One of the reasons why I like this passage so much is that... Jesus knew that his power left him whenever the woman touched him. And I think that's so cool for the fact that he instantly felt that and he looked for her through, throughout the crowd because there was a crowd there. Um, and in this time, whenever someone was unclean and they touched somebody else, it made that person unclean as well. But the way Jesus is, it made her unclean. And I think that speaks to what we have. And whenever we go to Jesus with our sins and stuff, um, we lay it upon him and before him. And that doesn't make him like us. It doesn't make him unclean, but it makes us clean. And I love um, the end that your faith has saved you go in peace. And it was her faith in Jesus and what he could do for her because since she touched the robe, she was like, she didn't actually touch Jesus. And that was her faith. And she's like, if I touch the robe, I have faith in Jesus. And then that could heal me. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, like to hear, when we hear other people read scripture, uh, other image bearers of God read scripture and then kind of give their, you know, why, why it moves them. That is, that's really just beautiful to me. Um, and that this whole scene there's there's so much going on with Jesus and it's like he's on his way somewhere else and you know she's just kind of like this last ditch effort like she's tried everything and she's given up everything um and all she wants to do is be in community again and 
it, it's like she sees him passing by and yeah, th- that beautiful scene of grabbing on to the hem of the Shudian man, which is a, uh, that recalls me to another prophet that we read. I forget which one it is at the moment. Um, but that, uh, there's going to be a time where, um, all the people are going to be going to Jerusalem. You're going to grab the hem of a Judean man and say, can I go and worship God with you? Um, and so there's a, um, there's a cool little, uh, prophet scene with that and you see this woman fulfilling it and uh it it's really cool that he's um you know the way that Jesus interacts especially with women uh in these stories and I think that really kind of ties into Ruth as well did you have any thoughts on that yeah I mean I love how Jesus finds this woman to be so important mm-hmm. um he is he seeks her out in a in a crowd where he is busy and like you say he's on his way somewhere Mm -hmm. and he stops and takes time for this woman and I think that that's really beautiful um to make this woman feel seen uh and and also just like Tori was saying the faith of this woman uh it's it's kind of something to aspire to an example for us and um, just really, like, uh, I guess asking myself, do I have that kind of faith where it's just like, if I was just, you know, reaching for Jesus, yeah. that he would uh, get me through whatever situation I'm dealing with. And so um, it is just a beautiful scripture. It's something that I would have never been like, oh, you know what, I bet Tori really loves that scripture. Um, not Not because, you know, for any reason... Um, but that's what's kind of cool about this is like I kind of get to see more of Tori's like a deeper, heart. a deeper level, yeah. which is what we're trying to gun for here yeah. is that like we get to know each other at a deeper level, both through through scripture and through us like pouring out our hearts to one another in, in goofy and funny ways, but also very serious ways. And yeah, so I love that. I feel like I know Tori a little bit better now. Yeah. Um, because that's just, you know, that's and I love what Tori was saying about how um, – Jesus didn't become unclean because of this yeah, woman. Yeah, he, yeah. in fact, made her clean as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, in a time where that was kind of everything and how she would be considered just like an outcast, mm-hmm. this this is such a meaningful exchange yeah, between the two. Yeah, the, the God of the universe on his way somewhere stopped and was like not going to give up until he talked to this person. Like mm-hmm. that's how she, how important she was. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, just thinking about it that way is just so cool to me. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I I think that'll tie in, uh, with, with this scripture that we're going to read, but we'll get into that whenever we get there. Um, but the first section that we're, we're going to pick up with Ruth chapter two, if we recall, uh, with Ruth chapter one, uh, this family has gone, they went off to Moab, uh, all the sons and the father died, um, and, this woman Naomi, um, she is left alone um, with her two daughters-in-law to take care of, um, and you know, like they have nothing uh, in this culture. It's said in the time of the judges, it's just not a good culture and time for women, especially widows. Um, and what we see here is uh, just this desperate and very hopeless uh, scene in chapter one. It's like everything. Um, seems to be trending poorly um, to the point where whenever 
um, Naomi and Ruth. Ruth is dedicated, like she she's kind of the character that you see shine out in chapter one of her steadfast love for Naomi. Now you don't know where this story is going, so it's like it could end up well for her or it could end up bad. It seems like she's taking a real chance in supporting Naomi um, and going with her. And so the two of them go back uh, to Bethlehem and Naomi is so distraught that she said, she says, call me Mara, which means bitter or is a play on words with the word bitter. So because Yahweh has turned himself, like he's against me. Um, she, she feels like Yahweh has, um, has forsaken her. And, um, so that, that's kind of where that scene ends. And it's like, it's time for the beginning of the harvest. That's how, that's how the scene ends is that it's time for the beginning of the harvest. Um, and so you're wondering how is this going to continue? I also want to recall as well, the kind of the themes of the Exodus, um, and that it seems like they've gone into, they've gone into a foreign land and they've come back, you know, they've come back to the promised land. The question is, is God going to redeem them? Uh, or is this, does it make it different because Ruth is a Moabite? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, how, how does this story going to develop? Is it going to continue with those Exodus themes or is it going to change and surprise us? Okay. So that's kind of where we, we pick up in chapter two. Naomi is completely empty. Um, as we see, and it's the beginning of the harvest. So you want to read this first little section? All right. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the, in the shelter. So the, the scene kind of opens with, or the section opens with just a statement of like an introduction of another character. But you don't see that character immediately doing anything. Um, but this guy named Boaz, his name means, means husband um, or owner owner of land. His name's both. Um, and, um, so anyways, he, uh, this introduction of this prominent, you know, rich man named Boaz, uh, but the story content just kind of then picks up, uh, as if, as it just left off of chapter one and that Ruth and it seems like Ruth and Naomi kind of have, they're staying somewhere. I, I think it's more likely Naomi has still has family land. Um, but no one to take care of her or tend the land, that type of thing. And so Ruth is offering to Naomi, let me go out and glean uh, behind the harvesters. And so I, I really want to highlight, it's easy to just pass over this, um, but I, I really want to highlight how this is a precarious situation for Ruth. Uh, she is a widow. She has no one to take care of her in the time of the judges. This is not a good situation. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of potential that she gets taken advantage of 
um, as she goes out to glean, and they see that she's by herself. I mean, th- like, think about it. There's no, there's no consequences to this right now. You know, she's alone. She is a Moabite. Nobody, like, ideally, or not ideally, um, you know, but uh, in this culture, you'd have to be thinking, like, nobody's going to stand up for a Moabite woman. You know, she's not an Israelite. Why would we, she, we have no ties to her. Why would we get in on that? Um, and so there's a lot of potential for her to be taken advantage of. So this is a huge risk. Um, but she goes out to glean behind, hoping that they'll leave her alone and just let her glean. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also um, your, if you recall the law of Moses, um, whenever they were given the law, they were told to one of the one of the stipulations or one of the case studies of the law was that hey, if you've got for the poor and for the destitute, for the widows, the orphans, you know, allow them to go behind you, um, and glean the extra of a harvest. And so I think the question is, is in the time of the judges when men are not following God's way, instead they're doing everything that is, you know, that's good in their own hearts, which is what Judges continually says about man, um, about that they just keep falling away. Are they actually following the law or aren't they? You know, are they, are they keeping it in that they're looking after the widows and the orphans? Right now, if you're just following up with Judges, you're like, this isn't good, um, that there's not a good chance that that's going to be happening. Um, so do you have any thought, any other thoughts on this? Oh yeah. Um, well, I just wanted to point out, you know, it emphasizes Ruth, the Moabitess, and mm-hmm. we'll see that again in different places throughout, um, this book. Um, but it's like, yeah, we've already established Ruth is from Moab. <laughs> like we did that in chapter one. We Will know you where stop she's mentioning from. It? Yeah. And yeah. um, even when um, the foreman replies to Boaz and says, she is the Moabitess, like he doesn't even identify her as Ruth. Now, he may have not known her name or whatever, but the point is, is that everyone is just continually pointing out that she is a foreigner here. Yes. Um, And that she, she ain't from around here. Yeah, everybody <laughs> knows. Everybody knows she ain't from around here. Um, yeah. And so... I think that that's just a a point of emphasis throughout this entire book of Mm -hmm. this is um, someone who would generally be considered an outcast foreigner in this er air in this area. Um, The other thing that I wanted to mention is, you know, last week with chapter one, we talked a lot about um, how the character of these individuals is so highlighted Mm -hmm. throughout this book and um you know we talked about some of our core values and everything and we talked about Naomi and her integrity and Ruth and her loyalty and um in this section I think now we can see kind of another character trait of Ruth in that she is incredibly hardworking. Mm-hmm. um and I think that these are you know character traits we should look at and see if you know reflect what we're doing in our own life but um one thing that the foreman noticed about her was how hard she was working and how she only took a short break and how, um, you know, she's just trying to get what she, what she can. She's doing her best, um, and to provide for herself and for her mother-in-law. And, um, I think that's just a, a really neat thing. And I mean, this section also mentions that Boaz is a man of standing and we'll get more into his character as we, uh, continue reading. So that'll just be something to kind of look out for, um, 
we already know he is a, um, he seems to be a big fan of God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his, his first uh, line he, is, mm-hmm. you know, may Yahweh be with you yeah. to, his, to his servants. And then they say back to him, may Yahweh bless you. And so you get this, the, they're followers of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it's like, okay, they're followers of Yahweh. That's good. Uh, let's hope they they continue in that way, um, that they exude the law, um, and it it is like that they, they kind of, um, it it's interesting the 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 reapers don't seem to they don't seem to think that Boaz is going to have a problem with it, so I think there's like a layer of that they're they under they know their master. Oh yeah, that's a great they, point. They know their master and that he is totally going to be cool with this. Yeah. Um, and because the, the foreman could easily just run her off, and say you need to go to some other field, lady. Right. Um, you're a Moabite. You know whatever. If 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 Boaz was not okay with that, the foreman would have run her off. Um, yeah. There there was two other things that I wanted to mention from this section. One is I had forgotten that Ruth is the one who kind of initiates this like let me go to the fields, which yeah. again kind of shows her hard work. Um. But just um, just taking initiative, mm-hmm. I think that that's sometimes I think I'm scared to kind of make that jump and be like, oh, let me go serve you in this way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's just kind of a cool example to me of she didn't have to wait to be asked by Naomi to go and do this. She jumped for an opportunity and knew that it could be dangerous for her. Um, so that that shows a lot about her character. But also something in this section reminded me of Esther, actually. And it's um, in verse 3, when it's the middle of verse 3, where it says, As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. And kind of that idea of, is this God? God is weaving his, you know, doing work through the people. um, Where you're kind of like, is this by coincidence or is um is God really you know kind of showing that He's always with us? Yeah, I, this is what I wrote kind of for that section. Is the narrator seems to make us wonder if it is actually by chance. Right. Naomi later in this passage uh, definitely seems to see the work of Yahweh in this quote chance. Right. And so that's something we're gonna we'll have to follow that up later, but. Narrator is kind of making you wonder, is this by chance? You already mentioned Boaz. Yeah, as um, it turned out. Yeah, so it's like, is yeah. it by chance? Or is this something that's being orchestrated mm-hmm. uh, in in order to uh, to show grace and love to Naomi? And so right. that's something that we'll kind of answer as we go along the way. But All right, so um, why don't you uh, pick up in verse 8 through 13. Okay, so, <clears throat> and Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Go no longer to glean in another field. Moreover, do not leave from this one, but stay close with my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that they reap uh, and go after them. Have I not ordered the servants not to bother you? And if you get thirsty, you shall go to the containers and drink from where the servants uh, have drawn. And she fell on her face, and she bowed to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes by recognizing me? For I am a foreigner. And Boaz answered and said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband was fully told to me. 
how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and you went to a people that you did not know. May Yahweh reward your work and may a full reward be given to you from Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you came to take refuge. And she said, May I find favor in your eyes, my Lord, for I have uh, I for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your servant, and I am not one of your servants. Uh, I love this section. Um, reading it again is just making me love it even more. Um, when we first read this section, I remember I said, "This reminds me a lot of Jesus at." you know, with the woman at the well, Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of that, that interaction between the two. Um, it's just like, man, uh, this just, this has so many echoes of Jesus interaction with women in general, mm -hmm. um, and how he treats them and how he sees them. Yeah. And Tori actually reminded of that, uh, us of that with her favorite scripture earlier. Yeah. And, um, just, there's this beautiful moment of being seen. Yeah. Of finally being seen, of being the foreigner, being the one who's kind of pushed off to the to the side and to have someone see you and recognize you and I love how Boaz he is taking care of her physical needs with giving, you know, making sure she has um plenty to to eat, to yeah, eat. he's like, hey, he's, go read behind. Like he's he's definitely obeying the law, uh, obeying the Torah to take care of her, mm-hmm. allowing her to reap and go behind them. And he's also saying, stay close with the women. I mean, he doesn't want her to be taken advantage of. And he's actually, it seems to be, he's worried that if she goes somewhere else, she might would be. Right. And so he's very clear with her of like, you need to stay here with my women. Right. Because they like, I want you to be taken care of. And, and so, um, I think he's, he's physically taking care of her from a, you know, sustenance standpoint, but also looking, looking out for her from a, I don't want other people to take advantage of you. Yeah. And, Um, but then also like from an emotional standpoint of just that idea of being seen of, you know, like her response to this is like wow like i found favor in your like a, a shocked response of that wow you see me and you're taking favor upon me um and so like emotionally i can't imagine what this exchange did for ruth of like a, such a boost and i think even spiritually he's taking care of her in the sense of of recognizing um the lord's work here mm-hmm. um and that he is acknowledging what she has done for Naomi and he's not trying to like boast about how great he is that he's going to take you know care of her in these ways um he's just like this is just a natural like the things that you've done like may God bless you Mm -hmm. and um so that's a really cool acknowledgement it shows Boaz like we were talking about before with his just how this chapter just reveals his character of um generous and humble um yeah. and just looking after those who can't look out for themselves. Yeah. And he he's just exuding the character of Yahweh. And and I, I think it's really, really important that we see that 
the riches like the the stuff that he's pouring out on Ruth, he doesn't he doesn't take credit for that. Instead, right. he gives the credit to Yahweh and he says, "May Yahweh reward your work." And may a full reward be given to you from Yahweh, the God of Israel. And he recognizes that, like, she's being taken care of really under Boaz's roof, or roof, Ruth. Uh, he's ta- under under his roof, but he recognizes that, like, that the refuge is actually under Yahweh. Like, he, so he, and to try to put it in other words, um, Boaz recognizes that he is the vehicle of, of Yahweh's grace. That it's... The Yahweh is not, he's not a God of just saying like, okay, well, I'm just going to throw, you know, which he does. He does, you know, pour out manna from heaven um, kind of thing. Um, but more often than not, he really, he wants to work through humanity uh, to do his will. And so he, he very much sees that, like he sees himself as the vehicle of Yahweh's grace. He doesn't see it, he doesn't see himself as like the of the like he doesn't see himself as the actual grace he sees him as the vehicle of Yahweh's grace. I don't mm-hmm. know if I, it can make that more clear but um you know I think it he's just so humble in how he approaches it. He doesn't like lift himself up. I mean he has he just let's be clear. She, again, she is alone. He is a rich man. He has servants who will do whatever he wants. He has every opportunity to take advantage of Ruth. Yeah. But instead, he sees her, and he takes care of her, and he, you know, it's just like he he just continually shows grace to her. Like, this this whole passage, the more you read it, the more beautiful it gets about what, what Boaz is doing, uh, and how he's just, he's wrecking, I mean, he calls her my daughter, you know, it's like he's taking her, him under, her under his wing, um, which is like I think that's exactly the words that you hear Jesus use, mm-hmm. uh, in that passage that Tori just read. Like he's like my daughter, mm-hmm. um, and um, so that idea of just seeing her, um, seeing her and not just leaving her there, but actually lifting her up and giving her what she needs. Um, so it's just really cool. I mean, he has so so much opportunity to do. If he was like, if in the time of the judges, this is not the way that you expected this to go. Instead, yeah. you've like come up on this like really random Yahweh follower, somebody who's actually keeping the Torah, right? And uh, and not only that, he's going even even further. So you want to keep keep reading that? All right, I'm gonna finish up the chapter. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, "Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar." When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over as she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, 
That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So, like I mentioned before, he's he is keeping the Torah, um, but he's also going the extra mile, mm-hmm. um, and going going even further in that he doesn't have to give her even more, mm-hmm. uh, but he tells his servants, "Hey, you know, when you're gathering, take a little bit more out and throw that behind you, so that she can have even more." To the point where she's got like thirty pounds of grain. Uh, that she's collected. Yeah, that's what uh, that it's just apparently. like just it, it's just so uh, much. Whenever it's supposed to, you know, ideally the reapers are supposed to be trying to get as much as they can. Yeah. Uh, and so that there's not much left over, but that's just not what like Boaz is just not. He just does not seem to think that that's important. Like he he thinks it's more important to take care of this person and go even further from her than even what the law requires. And so mm-hmm. I think I think Jesus very much ca- picks up on this character uh and and how Boaz acts and sees that he's he's not just fo- following the Torah, he's following the heart of the Torah. Mm-hmm. That's like, hey, it was meant so you could learn yeah. how to how to take care of others um and that you would put them first. And instead, now he you know, it, he he is taking that extra mile, and so Jesus would say the same thing. He would be like, "Hey, you've heard, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I tell you, don't hate your brother in your heart." That's what that's the heart of the Torah. Mm-hmm. That's heart the heart of what it's trying to get at is like, whenever you hate another image bearer, um, then that's you know we're we're supposed to um, you know that's the heart of what the the law is getting at. Um, so he he's instructing to his his servants to even go the extra mile. Do you have any other thoughts on this section? Um I really liked how um Naomi seems to have kind of turned a table here. Um she, you know, in the first chapter it was all about her bitterness and how um the Lord's hand has gone out against me and it was just, you know, no one could blame her for feeling the way she felt in chapter one. She had lost her husband. She had lost her sons. And as a widow in this time, um, you know, like she knew she wasn't going to have an easy road. And um, having a, you know, having these these doubts and where is God moments, it's totally, totally normal, totally justified. Um, but I think it's really interesting how now she's kind of, starting to see some blessings that God has put in her life. Um, now that, I mean, the loss is still there, um, but there are some good things that are happening for her again. Um, and I think she is recognizing that God still loves her. God is still showing kindness to her and God is doing that through Boaz. Yeah. And so there in, in verse 20, um, I've been, I, I kind of highlighted, one of the themes um, of this book is, is hesed, is the loyal love, is covenantal love, and how it gets lived out, um, how God's covenantal love, his hesed, 
gets lived out through these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in verse 20, it says, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by Yahweh, whose hesed, whose loyal love, has not forsaken the living or the dead. And so where she thought that she was forsaken before, now she's seeing the hesed of God through the vehicle of Boaz. Before she, like, so this is a re- repeated line that we saw in chapter one. In chapter one, it was attributed to Ruth and what she was doing. In this section, it's attributed to um, to Boaz and the way that he is um, is treating um, Ruth um, and treating her family. Um, and so I, I think that that's really interesting. Uh, this this continued. This is what the Hesed of God looks like, both through. Boaz, as well as through Ruth. They're both exuding it and demonstrating it in their particular situations. Boaz is it, Boaz is in a very different situation than Ruth is. Mm-hmm. He's still able to show and demonstrate hesed, but it's just in a different way than Ruth is able to do it. Um, so there, I think that that's going on here. And then um, also it says the... So this is something that, that's kind of interesting. We don't really... Um, in our culture, we don't really we don't necessarily get it right off the right out the bat. But she says this man is a close close relative of us. He is one our of our redeemers. Um. So th- this is tied back to the law. Um. In that, the idea was if your brother died, um, that in you didn't have an heir, and that brother was married, that you would continue on his line by having a child with his, you know, with his widow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was pr- primarily to protect, you know, family lineages. It was also to protect the land that that woman would still be able to keep that land and have it and things like that. Um, you know, it seems like Naomi still has their family land, but there's just not much that can go on with it with her by herself and mm-hmm. nobody to work it. Um and uh, but she's really excited about this for the potential that somebody may redeem their family. Um, and so this idea of redemption, uh, it's a it's a theme that I don't know that we necessarily get a lot. And um, and what does it mean to be redeemed? Literally, it's to be bought back uh, for an owner to have given something away so that he could get out of debt or something like that. To redeem his land, he would buy it back, and it would be his again. And so really, the the first time that you see redemption as a theme in Scripture is in Exodus. So in Exodus chapter 6, I think it is, is that uh, Yahweh says that he's going to redeem his people with an outstretched arm. And that he's going to, the children of Israel, he's going to buy back from Egypt. Um, and so the Exodus very much is a theme of redemption. Um, and so we, I think here we kind of see that continued theme. We We had the Exodus a little bit. Uh, in chapter one, and now it's like they're in this darkness. But this man Boaz, he's kind of this representative of the redeemer, mm-hmm. the one that his, that's going to buy back uh, his family um, and redeem his family. And so th- that's just really interesting. So this Boaz, he is like a distant relative that has the opportunity now, like, or she's highlighting that hey, he could he could potentially bear children. You know, like help yeah. us bear children, and and I think to the, continue the important line. thing to note here is that <clears throat> because he wasn't a brother, um, he would not be like obligated right to do this. So as we move on, <laughs> you know, thinking about his character, 
Um, there's no obligation for him to that it says he would have to do this. Right. Um, I guess I did want to kind of touch on something that I struggled with when mm-hmm. we were reading this, and that was, um, hey Naomi, couldn't you have mentioned that you had kinsmen redeemers in your like yeah, uh, in in your in Bethlehem. Uh, earlier, like when we first arrived or before when we were leaving. And I was really struggling with that idea of like, why didn't they just go into the city and like look for someone who could do this for them? Um, but the thing is, is that this is like, um, you know, you don't really know exactly how distant of a relative this is. And as we'll find out in the next chapter, there are other people who be, who could be closer Mm-hmm. in quote in line to be like um a kinsman redeemer for their family and Naomi doesn't necessarily know the character of all those people right um she doesn't know if they would actually take advantage of them or harm them in some way or you know like um it would just be kind of a risky move to go out and seek that yeah and just randomly be like hey you're a kinsman you bang on their door you're a kinsman redeemer <laughs> It, and then it's like, if you don't know that they're a good person, right. then they could very much take your land, take your take everything that, even more stuff than belongs to Naomi. Yeah. I, I think there's, because there's land that's obviously that, you know, because as we'll get into the next chapter, that it's like, this other dude wants it, um, but he, when he realizes that there's a Moabite in the picture, he's like, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, but he would like to have that other stuff if it wasn't for the Moabite. Right. Um, so I think there's some there's more cards on the table um, than just hey redeem my family so we can have a we can have an heir. Right. There's more at stake than just you know than than that. Yeah, because um, she's she's pointing this out after she's realized how kind he yes. has been to her and how he is taking care of so many of her needs. And um, gone above and beyond. Um, because I don't... Did, did we talk about... So we mentioned that it was like 30 pounds of food that she yeah. hauled back. Yeah. And that how, like, thinking about how long that would last her, you know? Um, yeah. How long that would last these two women is, like, just kind of a big deal in and of itself. Um, and so that's, you know... After she's finding out about all this and seeing everything that Ruth has brought home... And how it's beyond it's, what they we, need. We have a kinsman redeemer um, that's actually a good, good dude. Good, good person. Yeah. yeah, that's actually a follower of Yahweh, which is like totally shocking. Yeah. Again, time of the judges. Yeah. So it's like we that that context has to be in our mind mm-hmm. as we're trying to con- consider that. And so I think there's that aspect of Naomi that she's not sure what people are like. So she's not just going to... Well, do that. and also you do yeah. have to remember she's been away from this for ten years. This group of people for a long time, yeah. and so, um, yeah, you don't know. I I don't really we don't know how old Boaz is. Um, and also, you know, uh, Garrett and I were also talking before the podcast about how, you know, Boaz might not have realized. Oh, Naomi is actually a relative. Um, he might have recognized the name Elimelech, right? But maybe not. Naomi. Naomi. Yeah, because she's um, actually relate like so the relation is through Elimelech, well, not through Naomi. Yeah. So uh, that maybe there's that going on that Boaz wouldn't ne- necessarily like readily recognize that. Right. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. We're just 
you know, postulating like what's going on here. But I think ultimately the point isn't, you know, well, I, I think in every story, when you watch a movie, you're like, oh, so you didn't catch on that that was happening. Right. And, you know, like you can nitpick <laughs> you any story, but then you're like making it not a good story anymore. Yeah. And I, I think there's that aspect of it going on. It's like, that's not the point. The point is trying to highlight what does it look like to show actual faithful love and follow the Torah. The yeah. follow the Torah is it isn't just to just follow it to the T. It's to go even further than that. Yeah, and that's what makes this so meaningful is that, and I think that that's the whole point is, you know, following the law does not automatically give you this, like, relationship with God. It's like trying to help you with this heart Yes. behind it. Yes. Of, of realizing how good it is to take care of other people. Right. Of loving other people and showing them kindness. And the law just helps give ways to do that. Right. To and make it, sure it, that that happens. And it most of the time highlights our hard heart. Yeah. And and so that's what Moses' diagnosis of it all is, is that, hey, he's like, you guys have a hard heart and you need to have your heart, he would say, you need to have your heart circumcised. Uh, and then Jeremiah would say, no, you need to have a, your heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh. And so mm-hmm. it's a heart issue yeah. um, that's going on. So I, I think that's more of like what's being highlighted here. It's, I think it's easy to kind of nitpick stories and be like, oh, yeah, like you didn't know. Uh, right. But that's not the point in the story. Uh, that's not what it's trying to get across to you and help you understand. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, what, uh, what, what's your favorite part about this, this whole section? Uh, I definitely have to say the the first exchange between Boaz and Ruth. Um, I love getting to see them interact together for the first time. Um, yeah, of just how that reminded me of like of Jesus. Yeah, and and interacting with women and um, I I didn't I don't think I mentioned this when we were reading through it, but just. This idea of how sometimes I think we, like, don't think about how people need to be seen so bad. Like, I feel like, especially right now with COVID, there's a lot of people that feel isolated and alone and not seen. And I have been in situations before where I just didn't feel noticed at all. Um, And so to have like I've been in that situation before but I've also been in a situation where I have the opportunity to reach out to someone to help them feel seen mm-hmm. and um so for me this is just like looking at those situations and and recognizing that other people do see me you know and yeah. um and really like absorbing those kinds of comments like what what Boaz says to her uh, <laughs> You know, like really letting, not letting those go through one ear and out the other. But then also um, just kind of looking for opportunities to remind people that you are seen, that you are loved, that you are important. And um, that's that whole sec- section just kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, I, I think that is, that's at the heart of this. And I think the th- the there's just this really cool theme all throughout Scripture, all the way from Genesis, um, of... Yahweh is the God who sees. Um, and mm. so this is, I'm going to read a little section from Genesis chapter 16. This is a story of Hagar um, and where 
she's actually run out of town, you know, by by Sarah. And she's left alone and she finds herself at this well. Um, and it says the angel of the Lord comes to her um, and he gives her assurance that, hey, you're going to have a son. You're going to call his, you, can, you shall call him Ishmael. Or for Yahweh has listened to your suffering. And he shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and the hand of everyone will be against him, and he will live in hostility with all of his brothers. So she called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her, You are El Roy, which means you are the God who sees. Um, so for she said, Here I have seen, or for here I have seen after he who sees me. Um, and therefore the well is called Ber Lahi Roy. Behold, it, uh, it is between Kadesh and Bered, and Hagar had a child for Abram. So it's just really a beautiful story of like a woman that's been mistreated um, and taken advantage of. It's a really sad story for Hagar, um, but she finds herself in the wilderness and she's seen by God. Uh, and he intercedes for her and like just that patience, like he's still working through really um, uh, imperfect people through Abraham and Sarah. But, you know, it's just like he's still trying to work with that. Um, but this woman, Hagar, he sees her where she is. And that's just such a repeated theme uh, of God seeing these women. Uh, and then Jesus would very much pick up on that, that um, he would see these women uh, and, and it would just be like, he, and this woman at the well, she goes back and tells everybody, like, I've met a man who's told me everything uh, that, I've, that I've ever done. Um, and then we see this, this happen in Ruth as well. She goes and she tells uh, Naomi, hey, you know, this guy took care of me and he saw me. Uh, and so it just, I think there's just so much of this theme throughout scripture of that Yahweh is the God who sees.